Hello, and welcome to the Human Entropy Podcast, a podcast where we can discuss the chaos, the adversity, and the triumph that is being human. I'm Felicia Parker. I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm passionate about sharing the resilience I see in other people that inspire me to chase what makes me feel most alive. This is a place to be a friend, a place to encourage, and a place to challenge. This is Human Entropy. How's it going? It's going really well. Good. It's been a weird couple weeks, but everything's going really well. Nashville Health Department kind of started warning tattoo people about a week and a half ago to be very careful. But like all the regulations they were asking people to do besides the six feet apart, tattoo artists already do. I decided like a week and a half ago, I guess now, to stop tattooing. I just wasn't feeling safe. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't like taking the chance. And then like within two days, like every other tattoo artist in town was basically shut down. It's really hard though, obviously, because we don't have an income besides that. But I feel much better knowing that there's no chance of something spreading from us touching anyone. Right. Which is good. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Um, it's just a little tricky <clears throat> Because my house got damaged in the tornadoes. Doing that combined with corona, not ideal. (laughs) But um, trauma like at once. Yeah. And to be honest, I don't think I really let it sink in until like two days ago. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It definitely hit me. It was either Monday or Tuesday. But now I'm feeling a lot better. Um, Just it could be so much worse. Um, well, I'm so excited and I wish that this could be in person just because that feels more real to me, but you do what you can with what you have when it's Corona. Yes. Um, so for everyone that hopefully will be listening to this, I met Rachel back in August. I'm pretty sure. And you did my favorite tattoo that I have to date. It's my favorite one ever. I love it. It's so beautiful. It's a big magnolia. Well, it's two magnolia flowers on a branch, and it's just my favorite one. And it's funny because the other floral tattoo that I have that's really detailed, I can see better than any of my other tattoos because it's on my forearm. But I've never looked at a tattoo more (laughs) than the one that you gave me because it's just it's so big and beautiful, and I love it. That makes me so happy. You yeah. sat so well for it too. It was like, it was like an easy experience. And usually that's the most difficult type of tattoo to do a rib one. Well, but you did great. Thank you. I hope that means I can conquer anything because it did hurt a lot, but you also were very um, gentle. Yes. You were so gentle. And so many people, the other detailed tattoos that I've gotten before, they, they don't really ever pick up the pin from my flesh (laughs) and you kept like giving me little breaks in between I mean it wasn't like pause for 10 seconds or something but you would break for a second which was very nice yeah so I give some breathing room because (laughs) I know that you guys can't do it forever yeah but But yeah you killed it it's my favorite one I love it so much Um, I love it too so before we get into your story um I'm doing this thing where I like to ask three just random funky questions 
So the first one I want to ask is, if humans came with a warning label, what would yours say? Hmm. Mine would say, prepare for your walls to come down. Ooh. Like everyone that comes in contact with you, their walls come down or your walls will always be down? It's mutual. So (laughs) prepare for their walls to come down and mine will also come down through contact. Love it. That sounds about right. From spending yeah. only like two hours with you. That sounds yeah. <laughs> okay. That's good. That felt right though. And I, I love that question. What a fun question. Yeah. I didn't There's come so- up with it, but <laughs> um, <laughs> but you repeated it. Yes. I'm keeping the question alive. What is one thing you begged your parents for when you were a kid? I begged them for a goat. A goat? Because a goat because I wanted to do goat tying, like for rodeos. So I asked them all the time to get me a goat so I could hang out with it and prepare it for the the rodeos. Um, they didn't do it, obviously, which was really rude of them. But um, I still did get to do some goat tying with a random goat, and then it pooped on me, and then I stopped doing oh, it. Oh, gosh. But yeah, they how, were smart. They knew. How How old were you when the goat pooped on you? That was like 11. That was during my cowgirl phase. Oh, yeah. One of the many phases that I've had. Um, Last one's very simple. Hot or iced coffee? I'm going to go with hot. Really? I don't like watery. I Mm. hate when the ice melts and you only have a limited amount of time to get it when it's really good. And yeah, so that's, I just choose the heat. (laughs) Even in summer, I rarely get iced anything. So you have one of the coolest stories I've ever heard and not many, I mean, I've had a a few tattoos and I've never had an experience like when I got my tattoo from you where it is so full of life, first of all, second of all, so authentic, like you, there was no um, snobbiness about you, which I know that's not every tattoo artist, but there's been just a lot of in experiences that I've had where it's almost like they just, it's dark. It's a little bit dark. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And um, that is just so the opposite of you. And so your story makes it all the better. So if you don't mind, I'd love if you would share how you even got into it. I would love to share. First off, that was very kind of you. (laughs) I was like, you don't get to always hear descriptions about what you do, but Mm -hmm. um, it always... It's an encouragement that is needed. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um, So my tattoo journey, I was in college at Lee University in Cleveland, Tennessee. (laughs) I got there and I was studying computer programming. And then I got my master's in business. And during my whole college time, I was just really struggling. I think that everything hit the fan at once. (laughs) And every mask and every wall and every single thing that I'd put up to protect myself to kind of just make it because I just couldn't deal with the shame of struggling. Mm-hmm. They were slowly falling because like you can't carry that weight for too long. Mm-hmm. And I got to the end of my master's. I was in my last semester and I was like, okay, I need to go and get help. And I need to try because I know I can't make it as an adult with this type of 
the habits that I had formed, the things I was doing behind the scenes, I just knew that my life would be cut short with Mm. the things that I was doing. I went to my parents. I finally told them about some things that had happened when I was younger Mm -hmm. that had kind of been the root of pain because almost every habit that people have or something that we're seeing on the surface comes back to something when they got hurt at some Mm -hmm. point. So it was like, it was finally time to talk about the beginning of when I got lost. Mm -hmm. And in that, my parents opened their arms up like the prodigal, like that whole story. It literally felt like they were like, okay, we're here. We're going to fight with you to get Mm -hmm. you back home. Mm -hmm. Um, And home for me means that in myself, I feel safe with myself, that I'm at home with myself. And I didn't, I felt like a foreigner in my body. And I just felt like the, the walls were so far from being held up anymore that I had to, I had to find a way to feel like I was home again. Mm. Um, So I started going to trauma counseling. This was the first time that I decided to speak. And um, the scariest thing in the world to me was to be honest about myself. That was so scary because I had built up such a wall of shame and fear that who I was and what I did was going to be rejected in some way. So the best way to hide it is to not speak. Mm. And so um, it was this massive transition of like, okay, my words have value. Me speaking them doesn't mean that I have sent a bomb out that's then going to destroy me. It means that I'm actually releasing something that has built up. So I started to talk, started to finally let things out. And I started to feel um, almost like the... The home that's like within within me was being rebuilt and like the structure was coming down because it had to get back to that root of what did I build my life on top of, which was pain that there was, it needed to be rebuilt. And so I started to really find healing and notice the things that were around me that I needed to get out of my life, but I just didn't know how to do it. I get to my master's like graduation. Mm-hmm. I'm graduating. And my counselor was with the school, so she couldn't counsel me anymore after the graduation. Mm -hmm. And she kind of sat me down and she was like, Rachel, I really think that you need to go and get some help and go to a treatment center. And she said, it's not because you can't survive based on what you've learned from these six months. It's that you need to separate yourself from the place of pain Mm -hmm. and go start new. And sometimes it means changing your location. So I chose to go to a treatment center like a week after I graduated my master's. No one knew where I went. I just disappeared. And I went to this treatment center for trauma, depression, suicide, addiction. And those were just kind of the list of things that I had put on my back and was carrying around with me as ways to not feel for a long time. So I got there and a part of our therapy was art therapy. And I had done art my whole life since I was young, but I kept it to myself because I was so afraid of people seeing it. Because if they saw my art, this is what I told myself at this time, if they see what I'm creating from my mind, they're going to reject it just like they'll reject me. Mm -hmm. And it's too vulnerable of me to give this side of myself to them. And so I would keep my art to myself and it became like this cathartic thing, but I did not want to share it out of fear. But when my therapy started to combine my healing with the vulnerability of creating, it became this platform of, 
I was able to start creating, I don't know, from this place, like there was such a lack of rigidness for me that came out. And um, I didn't notice until after that all of my art up until that point was so dark. It was put into like perfect forms because I was so afraid of anything abstract because that meant that there was, it like reflected my own shame almost. Um, I started this competition or this type of thing with this girl I was in treatment with. She did the opposite of me. She only did abstract. She never had any structures, colors, whatever she wanted, she just did. So we made this competition that I would be an abstract artist for the rest of my time in treatment. And she would learn how to refine lines. And so we started doing that. And then it just became like me walking on my path to freedom was accompanied with like, say like a paintbrush. Mm -hmm. It was like art had become my companion and the tool that I knew I was going to dig my way out of this hole. So while I was in treatment, kind of, it was the first time in my life that I recognized the mass suffering of people and pain and how all of us out of all the girls that I was there with for all the time I was there every person felt pain and then they chose a habit to numb it or to not to feel. And so all of us were there for the exact same reason. We didn't know how to process things and heal. Like, so we chose different ways to survive and it really opened my eyes to kind of that label that I was alone. It made me feel first time way. Like we all are the same person. We just chose different ways. Mm -hmm. I come home from treatment and no one really knows what's happening, but I'm really struggling. I'm in the same town that I used to do all these things. I remember what I did there. Mm-hmm. And I'm like driving around. I just can't process how to function there as the free person that I felt like I was at the treatment center. I had this group of guy friends that were seeing my art and I was starting to share it and letting people see what was in my mind. I had these three guy friends who saw my art and they believed in me and they knew how much I was struggling. And they were like, Rachel, we're going to give you our skin to teach yourself tattooing because we <laughs> think that you'd be a great tattoo artist. <laughs> I, every time you tell me that, I'm like, <laughs> who are these guys? <laughs> I don't know. God bless them. I don't know what they were thinking. Um, it was the sketchiest thing in the whole entire world. And I'm not, I'm not ashamed of it because I've made my way out of that. But to start, it was it was literally the funniest thing. I remember them almost like having to convince me because it wasn't, I loved tattoos, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like I've grown up with this dream to do tattooing right. and to be a tattooer. That wasn't, uh, it would be a lie if I, I thought that that was my future. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't realize is them, them helping me create in a way it's the only form of art where I can never obtain what I made. Mm-hmm. I can never keep it. And I have to release it. It is like in its nature, it is freedom if mm-hmm. you're a creator. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really hard because you spend so much time making something and it has to walk out the door mm-hmm. um, and it has to leave me. And so I started the journey. I was tattooing. And I had done so many things that were illegal before that, that I wasn't even thinking about it. Like I just was surviving again, still Mm -hmm. kind of getting out of that survival mindset. Mm -hmm. And it really did feel like 
I've used this example before in my life that I felt like I had been drowning my whole life. Mm -hmm. And then when I went to treatment, I realized that I was actually just face down in a puddle. And my whole life I was capable of standing, but I had convinced myself that I was surrounded by water when in reality, all I had to do was turn my face and I would have been, my nose would have been up enough to breathe. And it was like, it was that moment that almost like tattooing was God's way of throwing me a life vest saying, Hey, you can stand up now. I'd be still standing in the puddle, but I'm going to teach you how to be aware you're not ever drowning with me. So I slowly pursued it and I saw that people just kept coming mm -hmm. and wanting to get tattooed for me. And I was like, what is happening right now? And it's like, it was kind of just this funny progression that was so natural. I never once posted and said, hey, I'm doing tattoos. Who wants to get tattooed by me? Like I never did anything to ask for this. It was like this flowing, it was flowing from within me and people were coming slowly but surely. Yeah. And I was teaching myself on their skin, which I don't recommend to anyone. <laughs> but the second I started tattooing, like you can look at, I'm not ashamed of any of those tattoos. You can look at them today and they look fantastic. Mm -hmm. And that's not out of pride. It's just out of, it felt like I picked up a paintbrush. Mm -hmm. And I was just teaching myself on a new um, canvas and a new type of like medium. So yeah, that was the beginning stage. Then I moved mm -hmm. and left that city. And I moved to Franklin, which is right outside of Nashville. At this point, I was in contact with a tattoo artist who was licensing me. And we were, I was going through all those steps and kind of figuring out like, how am I going to build a business in this new city? No one knows me. And it, it's all about word of mouth and kind of naturally it has to happen. Yeah. And especially if I'm not in a shop, like a normal shop environment, it has to be word of mouth because you're not as out in the open as everyone else. And I just kind of felt like God just kept protecting me and saying like, I didn't create this for you to strive in it. Yeah. Like this was always meant to be your joy, Rachel. And so I really just slowly, I stepped back and continued to teach myself and excel and surround myself with a tattoo artist that like completely believed in me and taught me all the things you can't teach yourself. Now, within like three years, I start this process started three years ago in February. Mm -hmm. I now have a business that I, I couldn't, you can't dream of the structure that I've been able to create. This tattooing in itself is a very inconsistent business because mm -hmm. you're basing it off of a want by people. It's not a need. It's mm -hmm. not something that anyone needs. It's always um, a want and you have to put money aside. And usually it's something you quickly go and get within a week of deciding, or mm -hmm. it's kind of just how the industry has been made. And I knew that that's not how I function. It's not how I produce. Mm -hmm. And that I value the time and the person's skin too much to do things quickly. Again, that's kind of changing the structure and hoping, oh gosh, I hope people believe in that and want to come to do something like that. So I kind of flipped everything on its head and I've stayed, it's just me and God mm -hmm. in the whole process. Mm -hmm. And I've watched as this has grown to a level, I, I, I really have no idea how. It's kind of just, it makes me laugh <laughs> and cry yeah. because I'm just so grateful. Yeah. So now I'm 
yeah, this is my, my full-time job. I created a business. So my master's in business, they should be happy with me because I did do something there with my degrees. I created a business that I love and it's growing and it's thriving. And it brings me a level of joy that I didn't think that I was capable of experiencing in life. The thing that used to be on the forefront of my mind three years ago when this this whole part began was suicide. And every day that used to be an option since I was like seven years old. And uh, one of the first tattoos that I did when this process started was a semicolon on my wrist, which if people don't know what the semicolon project is, it's for people who are struggling or have people around them that are struggling. And it's that instead of ending your sentence or ending your life with a period, you're putting a semicolon to -hmm. continue. And so I I did that. that on my wrist because at that point I needed a reminder. I get to look and now three years later and this tattoo has turned into something that when I see it, I only know how to live now. Mm. And I never, I never thought that was possible. Yeah. Just to be able to, I don't remember the last time that that was an option for me Mm. and how God has healed so much of my heart and my mind and my trust for people Mm. by sitting with them in this vulnerable setting and getting to tattoo stories on them, getting to sit, just, I don't even care if it is attached to a story. The person has a story. Mm-hmm. So no matter what, we're going to sit and talk about it. It is the most ironic and like wild thing that I get to sit in this position now where I'm consistently reminded of why I chose life. Mm-hmm. And it's because I'm around life all the time. And I'm around people who make me feel alive. So yeah, that's, that's a lot of my story. <laughs> I love it. Such a beautiful story. Thank I was you. thinking, um, it's pretty wild that you didn't want anyone to see your art starting out. And now everyone sees it, even though, you, I mean, I get what you're saying. You don't get to keep it, but you're sending it out in the world and it's on people's skin and it's not going anywhere. Yeah. It's the most, isn't that the strangest thing? Like I don't keep it. And yes, yet it's here forever. It's just going to live on people. Yeah. Wow. It's so cool to think that, yeah, my art, is like around the world living. It's not sitting on a shelf. It's existing. It's like if nothing else, my art is living and it's in every person that's walking around my art, they're living with me. That is beautiful, mm-hmm. especially when it was produced out of pain. And yeah. now it's, it's only living. Everything I create lives, no matter what the person's life is or how they're struggling, it's living because they're alive. It's such a beautiful art. Like tattooing is so interesting. And every tattoo artist obviously like has a different mindset. Mm -hmm. I do things very different, but also I'm fully aware that I'm not the right person for everyone, but I love spending time with people. It's fun. Yeah. So are you still friends with those guys? Yeah. My original three, (laughs) the one of them, they're all musicians. They had tattoos and they were kind of like yeah you know they were the perfect people to do it they just kind of didn't care yeah um and I started by touching up their old tattoos which was a really smart decision for me to do because then it was like less of a chance of messing up anything because you're just strengthening the line that used to be there and then um yeah and they all it was so interesting too because each one of them had a different skin tone 
like mm-hmm. what the palest white like a hispanic guy and then the other guy was like one of my friends and he had like a darker brown complexion mm-hmm. so i taught myself on all uh, the three different skin tones that a lot of tattooing you don't get to practice on yeah. it was such a cool experience because each one of them was so different and mm-hmm. like from the beginning i was teaching myself and imagine like as a painter most people only work off of white canvases but it taught me as though like if I have a brown piece of paper how do you design something so that this brown paper becomes the lightest tone and you you accentuate it instead of covering it Mm -hmm. how do you how do you make this tan be the lightest tone you know what I'm saying so it was such a it taught me so much and I just love them they live in another city but they come and see me they're still my original three forever they know they're like, they think it's so funny because they told me when this started, they made the joke. They're like, you're the Christian um, Kat Von D. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, sure, I'll take it. I don't <laughs> see it happening, but that's cool. And now they've been able to watch and see that, like the power of just speaking into someone, like that's powerful. Like they, they were a part of saving my life because the second I started tattooing I'm clean since the day I started tattooing and I have not like everything changed I can look back and I have a date when I know that my mind changed and it's the day I started tattooing it became my focus it became the the habit and -hmm. it was the healthy habit this time you know yeah so dang good your story is one of my favorites I love it and it's so cool that you are reminded every day that your life is so important because you're reminding other people that their life is so important yeah like you can't you can't tell people how valuable they are without knowing it for yourself right and sometimes on days when I see it in other people it was the exact day I needed to be reminded of my own value where someone comes in and they're really struggling with depression I'm able to sit with them and remember how valuable it is that I've come so far to not experience it the same as I used to and encourage them without invalidating the fact that they're experiencing. So it's like this really cool, there's just this open plane. of. It's so vulnerable to get a tattoo from someone. Yeah. Like how cool, like you're giving me your skin. I'm going to be a part of your life and every person I've ever tattooed. I'm a part of their lives. Yeah. And I think it means something that you can look at that tattoo and not just think, oh, cool tattoo. I forget who did it. You remember the moment that you sat and you got that tattoo and what it produced and what it, what this moment and experience left with you. I think that's just as poor, as important as the tattoo itself. For sure. I mean, I'm definitely never going to forget getting my tattoo from you because, well, it was my five year Nash anniversary gift to myself. Yes. So I'll remember yeah. the date forever, but I'll, I'll never forget it. Cause I've never, <laughs> well, first of all, anyone listening is familiar with the Enneagram. I had no idea you were an Enneagram eight, correct? Yes. And it blew my mind because of the eights that I've met before. I'm like, there's no way this girl's an eight, but (laughs) you definitely lived up to the name. I felt not even in an aggressive or like blunt way. I felt so challenged to go and chase what makes me feel most alive after I left hanging out with Mm -hmm. you. That's so encouraging to hear. Yeah, like I love that you walk with such confidence and you work with such confidence that this is not just a, okay, see you never again. 
even though you have this part of me that I just put on your body, you're, I don't know, you just have such light and it's contagious. It's this, it's just, you're so alive. And I think that that's only proof that God is real because mm-hmm. of what you've struggled with in the past. And now you're so full of life and I love it a lot. I love it too. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I think that I can, you can look at, I think each person say, if we're using like the Enneagram to, um, as like our basis, I can look at my life and I know when I was really unhealthy mm-hmm. and I know what my fears were and it was being taken advantage of. So mm-hmm. I took that every single person's gifting can be used to a disadvantage if we're not doing it right. And if we're hurting, because, um, my desire to challenge people can become controlling if I feel that it's not being like, you know, you can just twist everything. And I think it was just so important to look at my life now and be like, I'm so much healthier because the, the root of my desire is to, I don't even think of it, but when I hear people talk, I'm, I'm literally, I can see their value and it's in my head. I can like already see where are they not believing in themselves to get to this point. Mm-hmm. And it's not like I'm calculating this like motivational speech or something. And it's like fake. It's genuinely, I'm just listening. I'm like, wait, you just said yourself, that doesn't line up with the fact that I know that you're this strong. There's something like that. And I say that kind of stuff all the time. I don't even realize I'm saying it, <laughs> but that is the definition of a challenger. That is that I'm hearing you identify yourself outside of your giftings. And that's really hard for me because I want everyone to be fully functioning in what's what makes them feel alive. Yeah. And I think that ties back then to my story too. I would stop tattooing in a second. In one second, if God said that is not the tool of ministry and that is not where you're fully alive anymore, mm-hmm. I would stop because the connection to my life is not tattooing. It's just mm-hmm. the tool. So yeah. I want everyone to be connected to the life giver mm-hmm. and to what is life. And sometimes it takes connecting to a thing first that brings you back to him. And so tattooing brought me back to him. Yeah. And now tattooing is a tool that me and him do together. I just want people to be fully alive and fully themselves and know the truth. I just renamed my tattoo business to True Eden. Before it used to be 5613, which no one could remember. It was kind of like a little joke that I had. It was based off of Psalm 5613, which is, um, it was kind of like the anthem of my life that it was the promises of the four steps that God had brought me through. Mm-hmm. And the verses, um, for I have delivered you from death and your feet from stumbling that I may walk before God in the light of life. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was like these steps to living fully alive. I could feel like six months ago, I was like, that name is not carrying me where this is supposed to go, what my business is supposed to go. And so it was this weird moment of like, I have to release it because it's graduated now. Mm-hmm. And I don't need that reminder. It's like, it can be my mission statement, but it's not the name. And I couldn't stray away from Eden and how the Garden of Eden isn't even mentioned until after the seven days of creation because it's the first representation of, of life. It is the first place mentioned where all that was created is in, it's, in, it's living there. Mm-hmm. It's fully alive in this one physical location. And 
I was praying. I was like, okay, God, but like, what describes it? Like, what do you think when you see Eden? And God was like, it's the truth. Every answer and every question that comes up today, if we go back to the garden, he answered it before sin came in. Mm-hmm. At Eden is when every every intention, every will of God, of wholeness is made there. And so it was this really cool like moment that, I really feel called to bring people back to the garden mm-hmm. and remind them of before everything came in that their father created them there. That That is your place for all the answers, all the questions that we have and the unanswered things that feel really difficult to process. All he asks is like, come back to the garden. All truth is, it lies there. And so that's kind of, I feel that that is my mission mm-hmm. <laughs> is is that and tattooing is like a massive part of it and yet it's such a small part to me yeah. I just want people to, to be alive that's my goal in life I love the name change I think it's awesome thank you thank you wow. yeah I'm excited too well ugh, that was so great and I <laughs> appreciate you being super vulnerable and of course brave because of it but Lastly, do you have a favorite tattoo that you've given? I'm looking at my little tattoo board right now. Let me see. Or maybe, I guess, favorite experience okay. of tattooing somebody. It could be two different answers. Um, I had a girl that I tattooed, I'd say about like four months ago. And like leading up to it, I felt like, I just felt like God kept putting her on my mind. I felt like he said, bid to her for free. And it was like this weird thing. I was like, okay. So I texted or I wrote her and I said, Hey, I'm going to do this for free. And the tattoo was going to be of a jar of clay or sitting on top of a table that would be represented by a line. And, um, she came in for the tattoo. We sat together. She was telling me how, as she was praying about it, she was like, God, why, why would you have her do this? And that she felt like God said, I want you to know that you don't always have to pay or offer something to me for me to give it for free. So he wanted something to live on her body that was never paid for by her. That was just this really cool, like full circle connection of me obeying and God was teaching her something. And all he asked of me was like, will you sacrifice like a little bit of your time? And I'm, I already got paid back from that, just from the, what I've learned from that moment. So that was one. They're all about God, so just prepare yourself everything. Like usually those ones are just really fun for me. There's this thing that just says 840. It's on my board. It's like a digital clock. So it's like 0840. And it's this guy who, he came in, he used to struggle with heroin, and he was a drug addict. And he was praying to be saved and trying to figure out, like, God, I don't know how to get out of this lifestyle that I've created. And um, he woke up in the middle of the night and he saw 840 in his dream. And I can't remember all the other details, but basically it was like he kept seeing a digital clock blinking 840, 840, 840. Mm -hmm. Then he came out of the dream and he went and found, I don't remember what verse or chapter of the Bible it was in. He -hmm. found it and it was something about like, you have been washed clean, like you are clean. Mm -hmm. And then from that day has never like had a drug again and like completely clean, never desired again. It was like the promise was in that. So we tattooed the 840 on his chest 
as a living reminder of, of that dream that God spoke to him for the first time. Wow. Love that. But it was really small. So sometimes like the smallest ones, the semicolons, I really love. I'll always love doing those. Yeah, all of them. Yours. I love yours. I love mine too. I'm a little biased. I love yours. It's just so cool. <laughs> I want to do more large ones like that. So that's my inspiration is you. Well, I'll send people your way. Thank you. If I know that they want large magnolia flowers. (laughs) Okay. I feel like I asked you this when you were giving me my tattoo, but you take it seriously who you say yes to. Yes. Because you pray about it. You, You ask God, are they supposed to have that tattoo, right? Yes. Are they supposed to have it? And am I supposed to tattoo that person specifically at this time with whatever they're requesting? And you tell at least half the people that come to you no, right? Yeah, that was the number. Now I think it's getting refined more because I think people are learning what to ask me for. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes people brought me things. I was like, wait, what? Did you even look at my profile? But yeah, it's kind of because God asked me to only do three tattoos per person. And I don't understand all the answers to that. I think it's just a boundary. And I think that God's setting me up to do this for longer and for people to know that like, this is, this isn't like a shop and I don't think it needs to be treated like one that we get to choose these beautiful moments of three together. And that's, that's what it needs to be. And so I think in that I'll tattoo any person that I'm supposed to, like, I don't, any person that comes, I won't tattoo anything though. And so I think that's the most important part. If someone brings me something that, I don't feel that I'm supposed to do. I either, I'll send them for that one to another tattoo artist. Mm -hmm. And then I'll say, if you have any other ideas, like I always want to work with them. And I, it's a little difficult to navigate because it can kind of feel like rejection, Mm -hmm. but it's not rejection. It's me saying, I actually care more to do things that we both love than me pretend that this is my style to do. It's a, it's a strange one, but I feel so much peace about it. Mm -hmm. because the ones I do tattoo, I know every person when they leave, I sit here and I know exactly why God sent them to me. And it's not because I needed to be in their life. It's because they needed to share something with me that changed my life. I feel like to end, um, this will be my last question. And you go as in depth or as not in depth as you want, but what is something you think people that are struggling with some of the same things that you struggled with? What's What's one thing they need to know? No matter what you believe in or what's happening by virtue of like existing, you're worth being alive. So Mm -hmm. you are here for a reason, no matter what. And then imagine if you knew you were created for a purpose, how much more value that means for you. And that there's always joy in the morning and there is light. And to surround yourself with people who speak life over you and really just. I think the answer to everything is always inside of us. And sometimes we just have to dig and have like a position of hopefulness. And if we don't know what it looks like, start with like tiny little things where we just are grateful. Mm-hmm. And I think gratefulness teach us, teaches us hopefulness. That's the one that counteracts darkness is mm-hmm. hope. So you can't, it's the best shield and best um, weapon you can ever have. Yeah. So that, that is it. And pursue your dreams. The things that make you feel alive, those are, they change everything. If you were made to do it, if you feel it at all, like it's in you. Mm-hmm. And I just want people to find their place. I challenge people to find their place. 
<laughs> well, I think that if someone listens to this and they're not challenged, then they I <laughs> didn't execute this properly because I'm challenged right now. Coming in strong. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you sharing all that with me and with everyone that will listen. And I think that you have such a beautiful life and such a beautiful story. And it's very inspiring. And I just think the world of you. I appreciate you. <laughs> you uh, I've never done this type of thing, but you make such a beautiful atmosphere. I feel so safe. And so I don't know if this is what you want to pursue, but you have a gifting in this. And I don't think you could get anyone on here who wouldn't feel safe talking with you. Well, dang. <laughs> Thank you. It <laughs> is welcome. right now. It is what I want to pursue. And it's I think of, you should. <laughs> for sure. I, I think I want to. It makes me feel so passionate just to hear other people's stories, which is kind of the whole point of me wanting to start a podcast is because I think we are so resilient. And most of the time we don't know it or we don't see it in ourselves as easily as we see it in everyone else. But yeah, I just, the amount of encounters and relationships and conversations that I've had that are so purely from God, it's like, yeah, I think the world needs to hear this. <laughs> yeah. And well, I'm leaving this conversation feeling strength in myself. Good. So you accomplished it because when we get to speak some, yeah, we're, we're really hard on ourselves. So this really has encouraged me. So you're doing it. I'm thankful for it. I'm so thankful that you said yes. If you like what you've heard and want to support this project, if you're streaming on Spotify, it'd be amazing if you'd follow the podcast and download each episode as you stream them. If you're listening on the podcast's app, please give the show a five-star rating and it will help out immensely. Most importantly, of course, share these episodes with the people that you know. Theme song and audio production by Tip Frank, podcast artwork by Sierra Scott, Lydia Massey, and Kinsey Maroney. I appreciate everyone who's taken the time to listen to this. Until next time.